Good morning, Chair City Church. How are you doing today? <laughs> uh, it's a, yeah, it's a good morning. I like the fall evenings. I like fall mornings. I really like walking around at night in the fall, especially in city type of things. It's just a, it's a cool thing. I want to welcome all of you here this morning. We're in the middle of a series called True-ish. There's this saying-ish. I don't know, it came about maybe 10, 15 years ago, kind of attached itself to a particular generation, right? I want to show you a, a quick clip that I think kind of gave it some steam and how we kind of, kind of came to know it in a humorous way. Go ahead. Mark, why is Grandma eating off the ironing board? Why not? This is a kitchen table, not a desk. It's both now, and Dad's got a schedule for that. Dinner's at 11-ish. Marky, go work in your room. There's no desk up there, and I can't stay awake. I just get in bed, it's like... Out. Would you like a room with a nice big workspace? Great. What's this look like? A holiday inn? <laughs> hey, Grandma. Want a room with room to work? Holiday Inn gives you more, and more is better. You know, today I'm going to toss out a few truish thoughts, ways of thinking we have when it pertains to relationships. You might even, in some cases, call them lies that we've kind of accepted, adopted in our way of thinking towards relationships. Now, when it comes to truth, you want to figure out what is your starting point. And that's important because if you have a false start, you're going to have a false conclusion, right? This is true in life. We often have a false start because we start with our self. Now, this isn't going to be one of those slapping you around sermons, but it's not probably going to be a warm and fuzzy one either, right? If we're believers who, who live by faith, who trust in God, and one of the great ways you know if you're trusting in God is that you start with God and not yourself. Oh, if you would pause in some of those critical situations in your life, those times when you have to make decisions, even when you're in the midst of some challenge or difficulty in a relationship and saying, am I starting with myself or am I starting with God? Wow, the difference that it would make in your life, huh? Now, the world, the culture around us tells us to start with ourselves. They might not put it in that way, but, and sometimes they do. How do you figure out the truth when it comes to your marriage or relationships, friendships? Do you start with yourself? How do you figure out moral truth? The truth about moral rights? Do you start with yourself? How do you come to the truth about relationships? Do you find yourself starting more with yourself? So we're going to turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to jump in with verse 1. I think we'll be kicking down to maybe 13, 14. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also with a, will appear with him in glory. Christ is your life. This is truth. This is a foundation for your life. This is a starting point for you. You were created in the image of God. It's a starting point. Jesus gave his life on the cross to conquer sin and death, and in particular the, the sins in your life, those things that you did or Whatever you participated in, you missed the target. It was apart from God, but Christ gave his life for that. And that was then and this is now, and you're forgiven, right? That's a great starting point. 
And he did that so you would not be eternally separated from God. You do not need to be separated from God, but today you can be in right position to know God. And when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you take him in, when he's in you, you are now born again. You're living now by your spirit, not by your flesh. You're living by, for God is your starting point, not yourself, right? And you have this promise and you do so gladly and joyfully because you have this phenomenal promise of eternal life with God. This is a great truth. And this is a great starting point. Let's keep reading Colossians, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, that self, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in a life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, Rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are new, think new, live new, be new, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and it is in all. This is for all. We are all in this together. There is unity in this. So Paul describes a host of things, and he's he's doing this so you can understand the truth, what is true. So you have a starting point. He wants you to live from truth, not how we feel. How we feel will tend to justify some of these things that Paul listed, these characteristics that Paul listed, these, some of these sinful ways. It will justify it if we live by our feelings, right? And you don't want to live by your feelings, but you want to live by the truth. Your feelings must surrender to the truth, right? When that happens, you're now going to find yourself putting off the bad stuff and taking on the new stuff more and more. You're going to see that you're in the process of being transformed, right? Meaning of now really moving on from that place of being that you don't want to be. Maybe more of you than less of you, but a part of you that's really dogging you. Now you take on the good stuff. You're putting off the old stuff because you're leaning onto truth, not feelings, huh? And you're being transformed into a greater you, a newer you, because you're building your life on truth. We're going to go to verse 12. Therefore, now he's going to tell us how to, how to live here as God's chosen people. God delights in you. He chose you. He loves you. Holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves. Now this is how you want to live in relationships, right? Clothe yourselves with compassion, Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
Inject that into your marriage today. Inject that into a relationship that you have today. Think right now what's happening in a relationship with a family member, a spouse, a child. Inject right now the Word of God, what He's telling to clothe you. Meaning when they look at you, when they hear you, when they sense you, this is what they're going to know you to be because you've clothed yourself in compassion towards them, kindness towards them, humility towards them, gentleness and patience meaning a long-suffering with them. And then verse 13, bear with each other. And it doesn't say be a bear to one another, right? <laughs> Remember my bear impression? So I another story, okay. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Whoa. And of all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I want to tell you, I toss out a few things regarding the truish slash lies that we might be taking in about relationships. And the first is that other people should be more like me. Uh oh. So now my marriage, Christy struggles with this, being like this. Christy thinks everyone around us should think and be like her. And <laughs> now, we don't say that out loud. We just think it. Right? Be honest with yourself. Man. You're walking around a lot of the way. You're seeing the world and seeing others. And the, more, the closer and closer people are to you, the more you think this way, that, you know, they should be like me. I mean, if my spouse was more like me, our marriage would be so much better. Our family, our home would be so much better. And we do that out there in our jobs. We do it in the church. If, the, if so-and-so is more like me, we would get along so much better. The church would be so much better, right? Other people should be more like me. That's true-ish. That's, that's a lie, right? And it begins with us. And that way of thinking begins. It's coming from the self now, and, and it's starting to come to a place where the world revolves around us, huh? Man, take a look around you. The world is filled with a lot of other people, right? It's not built around you. It didn't even start with you. Didn't even start with me, right? We were all made in the image of God. We are unique. We, we are different from one another, clearly. If you come into my home, which is usually a pretty kind of chaotic, busy place, right? You will see that. You will hear that. We are different from one another, but we've got to give each other room. You and I, we're different. Here at Cheer City Church, we are so different from one another. We've got to give each other room now as we come to unity, as we move forward to what God has called us, as we go into another year. The year really starts in kind of church road in September. Give each other room to be different, to think different. Holding on to the essential truths. Give each other room. Me and Christy are big on this in our home with our kids, that each one would give the other child room to be different and to kind of find a way to value and to work with that difference one to the other, to find a way to kind of, you know, capitalize on that difference, an opportunity to get to know each other, to work through things. Give one another some room to be different. I mean, let's just, how many of you are, extroverts. You know, you like, to, you like to talk a lot. You energize around people. You, you express your thoughts and your feelings. How many are extroverts? 
Okay, all right. How many of you are introverts? You just, man, you, you, you really don't need, when you're around people, you actually get drained. You, you don't really need to say all that stuff. You just only say what needs to be said, right? We, we got some introverts in my family. We got some extroverts in my family. How many of you just don't like raising hands, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. I get that. How many of you, when you're driving, you just like the left lane, huh? You really like, I mean, you live in the left lane, huh? I'm the only one that lives in the left lane. Okay, great. How many of, how many of you like to cruise in the left lane? Yeah, don't, don't put your hand up, man. <laughs> it could get violent in here really fast, okay? I don't even want to know you, actually. Just keep your hands down. And all those things I've said about you, please forgive me right now. <laughs> My father-in-law lives in the right lane. I call him right lane Lloyd, right? How many of you have ever been annoyed by somebody? Okay, there you go. How many of you have annoyed other people before? Right, okay. <laughs> Did you actually try and raise his hand? Okay, that's good of you. All right, I saw that. <laughs> I think you might have been annoying him when you did that, by the way. <laughs> Look, you know, we are just different people. And we don't want to be walking around this world thinking everyone should be like, more like us. So God writes to us. He instructs us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. He says, bear with each other. Do what? Bear with one another. In that word bear, literally, when it was in the original language, the Greek, it means to, and here we go, ready? To endure something unpleasant or difficult. Right? Which means other people, by the way. <laughs> In the body of Christ, in what we know is church, community of people who follow Jesus, let's bear with one another. Don't think they're so annoying, I'm not going to that small group. Go to that small group. Don't think they're so annoying, I'm not going to the first service, I'm going to the second service. You're going to annoy each other. You're going to annoy me. I promise you, I will annoy you. Yes, let me see it. Come on. <laughs> I have annoyed you. How about that, right? <laughs> okay. Look, let's bear it together with compassion. I mean, compassion to each other and grace towards one another. In, in the mid 1600s, uh, a Lutheran theologian put it this way In essentials, unity. In non essentials, liberty and in all things charity, meaning love. Wow. So the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, he, he writes, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to God's holy people, these chosen people, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see those words there, in Christ? We unify around this truth. This is prominent. This is essential. We unify around that we are in Christ. That's what we focus on. That's what we dwell on. We don't dwell. We don't build from those non-essentials. We unify around that truth that we are created by God, one to the other, and we value one another because we are created by God in the image of God. And we know that each one of us has fallen because of sin that's come into this world. But we, you and I, have been restored to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
And that's how we see one another first and foremost. We unify around that truth. We are in Christ, under his roof, in his house, and on his foundation. In verse 5 through 11, Paul took us through the third chapter of Colossians, chapter 13. He takes us in verses 5 through 11. He talks about all this putting on and putting off and clothing ourselves. And these are essential things in our relationships. We don't want to slander. We don't want to lie to each other. We don't want to have malice towards each other. We do want to be compassionate to each other and kind to each other and have humility to each other. These are essentials. But then there are non-essential things, right? And in non-essential things, we have liberty. There's some freedom there. People are going to be different. Should we have pews or should we have chairs? Don't start with me, okay? (laughs) Should we have hymns or should we have choruses, you know? Should we have communion this way or that way, right? Okay, you know? It's just we're different, and that's great, that's cool. I mean, it's, it's, it's cooler because I get to choose, but besides that point, <laughs> and I thank you for your trust and your affection. And don't, not really, I mean, we, we, we're going to be different. And the great thing about Church City is that we are, not only we people who were not going to church for a long time that came from different backgrounds, uh, of religions and of faith and denominations, but even people who have come here, even right, you know, in the last several months of people who have come f- directly out of a different denomination or faith, and it's astounding the variations that we have in this place. And I think that's a strength of ours. Uh, it's intended by God to be a strength of ours. Because more and more we're focused on, on the essentials. We're gonna, we come from these differences, these backgrounds. I remember when I met Christy. You gotta figure, I'm 28 years old and I'm, I'm living a whacked out life and I meet Christy and she comes from this uh, kind of denominational religious background where in the 1970s, you know, I meet Christy in the, like the early 90s, but in the 1970s you couldn't be a member of a church if you went to the movies. Whoa, right? I'm like, man, like, are you serious? Now, now it carried over that maybe the church has made those adjustments and got it, but, but Chrissy's in a Bible college within that denomination, and she can't go to the movies when she's in that Bible college. So what do I do? Well, I convince her to go to a movie. <laughs> now, I think it worked out. I really did, right? So I think what it was is I was not getting my way, good thing, you know, in some other critical areas in our relationship, and so she kind of tossed me a bone and we went to the movie. And, and we're sitting there like a third through the movie and it's like a date gone bad. And she's like, you know, not, I, I, yeah, whatever, just let's go, okay? Another waste of 10 bucks or whatever it is, huh? But, you know, in the same circle, if you had a drink, I'm not talking about being drunk or drinking excessively, that would be sinful. But if you had a drink or you drank or you smoke cigarettes. Some of you might try and drink cigarettes. God, the things you do with stuff out there today, I don't know what you, okay, anyway, I'll digress. Snort this, inject this, well, my, come on, yeah, whatever. But if, if, you, if you had a drink or you smoke cigarettes, you were going to hell, right? And, and okay, you know that, but you're not gonna go to hell, right? Okay, I mean, not, not the way I would govern myself with the cigarettes, probably better use of money and, and better disciplines, but you get what I'm saying, you're not going to hell, right? So you, and, and yet they would really focus and give attention to these like non-essentials. There are non-essentials. We talked about the essentials, and, and the scripture tells us, and in all things love, to pour love over all things, yes? 
Now, if you are really any one of us, but especially I think people who are younger, like myself and everyone else, I look young in this shirt, don't I? Anytime you see we, we wearing like a lavender type thing, no comments, I'm trying to look a little bit younger maybe, huh? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't even hear that. I'm glad I didn't hear that. So if you're younger, what happened is the world has taken this word love and they've kind of redefined it. And they're not defining it the way God defines it. And here's what they would say. I wonder if I, if I could kind of sparse this out and that it wouldn't make sense to you. What they would say is, yes, let's pour love over the essentials and non-essentials. And, and so let's do it in a way, though, since it's love, that the essentials would really not be essentials anymore. Because if, if it's really love, then you don't have to have essentials. They can be non-essentials, right? And since there's non-essentials, there's really no essential truth. There's no absolute truth. We go back to ourselves now to establish truth. And that is really how the world, how the culture now is defining love. See, if you love someone, there should, there should not be a substantial underlying truth. If you loved everyone, there would be no essential truth, and this is love. Listen, that is not love. That is a true-ish. That is a lie, right? What God has established is essential truth. And I'm going to say this. Not only will that way of thinking, it will not build a healthy marriage. I really think that if you sparse it out, if you follow it through over the years, it's really hard to build a very good relationship on that way of thinking. That even people who prescribe to that initially out of the gate, when they are able to build decent relationships, just because they're different from me, that doesn't mean they can't have good relationships, they'll find out that eventually they started to kind of hold to some essential truths, right? Because just to try and build a good relationship. So listen, all of us, but especially those who are on the younger side, students, high schoolers, hold to the essential truths of God. That is what is foundational. That's going to give you a transformed life. Let's jump into the second true-ish slash lie. Forgiveness has to be earned in relationships. Oh, this is a lie, right? You go back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. All right, so this is always a tough one, right? The word forgive here means to cancel or pardon. I'm not saying trust. I do believe trust has to be earned, but not forgiveness. What Paul is saying here is that if someone offends you or me, when they do wrong, by the grace of God, we will forgive them. Yes? But we say to ourselves, they have to earn it, right? We do that in relationships. We do that in our marriage. You're going to earn my forgiveness. Even if our spouse says, please forgive me, we want them to earn it. We want that, we, we, in some cases, we want a pound of flesh, right? You know? We want them to prove themselves. You're going to earn that forgiveness. But the scriptures say to forgive just as God forgave you. Uh huh. But instead, we carry the hurt. Instead of forgiving as God forgave us, we carry the hurt, and then we get to that place of thinking, they need now to earn my forgiveness. That's what that carrying the hurt does. It creates this way of thinking on us that it justifies 
the position that our spouse, our friend, our family member has to earn the forgiveness. But if I apply this way of thinking to my relation with God, how does it work? So, do I have to earn God's forgiveness? I mean, if I apply it, well, that's ugly, right? I mean, there is no way that I'm going to earn God's forgiveness. I don't have enough time and energy <laughs> to earn God's forgiveness for all the sins I've had and all the sins that I will accumulate from here till I finish my race. So I, I will never earn God's forgiveness. And that's why I'm so grateful and so glad that God freely forgives me, right? That Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I am freely forgiven. It's not what I will do. It's what Jesus has done. So here's what the Bible teaches. The freely forgiven freely forgive. Now why don't you interject that into your relationship today, into a situation or a circumstance that's going on with you and your spouse. The freely forgiven freely forgive. I am freely forgiven by God. I'm going to freely forgive my spouse. You can carry it on into other relationships, family members. Now, the thing about that is we kind of despise it. We do, you can feel the resistance going on as I'm saying it in you. And that's an indication that you have an enemy and an adversary who's at work in you, who's roaming and warring and, and spewing lies into your head, the truish stuff. That you would even, re and what are you resisting? You're resisting yielding to God. But what you're resisting is love and unity and intimacy in your relationships. And you're what? You're now, your starting point is self, not God. You know what a good practice is to kind of kick through this way of think having others earn your forgiveness? It's deep. Uh, it's simple. Not simplistic, meaning it's simple. It'll work. Instead of rehearsing and nursing what other persons did to you, you're not going to like this, by the way, as my son Jason would say. Nurse and rehearse what you have done against God. Do that. Nurse and rehearse what you have done against God. Now that's not going to be as painful as an exercise as it, as it sounds actually. Because you're only going to be a short way into it that you're going to stop and say, okay, wait a minute. This is like impossible. <laughs> wow. And then it's going to hit you how great God is. What a merciful, loving God he is. And you're now going to go from this place of resentment and bitterness of the nursing and rehearsing of what others have done to you instead of now nursing, rehearsing God's great forgiveness on your life, God's mercy on your life. And you're going to realize the value and the power and the effectiveness of that thinking and feeling while thinking. And now you're going to feel better. You're going to feel peace. You're going to feel joy. You're going to feel gladness. And you're going to be so much more inclined to return back here because you've already evicted those ugly, ungodly, nursing, rehearsing thoughts of what people have done against you. You're no longer living in the past, and now you're going to begin to move forward to freely forgive because you've been freely forgiven, yes? Let it go and be free. All right, the last one, the last truish slash lie that people believe. If our marriage takes hard work, we must not be right for each other. So that's a lie. You know, it's funny these things we call relationships. We do. We long for relationships. We, we want the most intimate relationships in our lives. And, of course, marriage is about that. 
it's curious to me how many people they they date and they want to get married. I mean, like a lot of people, right? And then there's so many people they get married and they want to get divorced. And then you have all these people that are divorced and they want to get married. <laughs> we long for relationships. Let's today pause to make the effort to live them out in a healthy and effective and productive way. Relationships take work. Let's do it right. You see, many people, when they, when they come together, I notice this, when they come together, they, they tend to focus on all the right things about each other, right? It's like that's all they see is all what is right about one another. I mean, and they kind of really minimize or ignore or just blind to those things about each other that are simply not going to be compatible to one another. That is so different from one another, right? I'm not going to let my kids get away with that, man. When my kids bring somebody home and I have a sense that this person is going to be, you know, this is going in a serious place, I'm going to just sit the person down and say, listen, you need to know this about my child. <laughs> I am. My girl, I was, I was, in, I was at, uh, in Manchester, New Hampshire, me and Christy in the morning yesterday. We're up in Manchester, New Hampshire watching our, my Nelly, Janelle, uh, run a cross-country race. Crazy stuff, like three-something miles, whatever, uphill, down, oh, crazy mud. And, uh, and I was talking to a, 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 another couple, and I was, talk, I was talking about this. And I said, man, you know, my Janelle... You know, I'm, when she comes home with somebody, it, it, and, and I see this is going to me, I'm going to sit that guy down. I'm going to say, listen, you need to understand this. You see this girl, my daughter? She's loyal. She stands for what she believes in. She's, she's faithful. She's faithful to her family and her friends. She's a determined, strong person. She works hard, man. She's got great work ethic. Now, and she loves God. Now, on the other hand, you need to listen carefully. I'm going to be descriptive here. I want you to picture being married to her and you're not feeling well and you're sick and you don't feel like getting out of bed. Well, don't turn to her for some comfort, man. <laughs> She's going to be like, what? You're a wimp? You're mad. Come on, get the heck up out of bed. She's not going to be like my wife. My wife would rub my hair and rub my back and hold my hand and, oh, you okay? Not my Nelly, man, you know? <laughs> you better have your mom's number on speed dial, tell you right now. <laughs> you need to know that. <laughs> Listen, we, we want to be able to just, it t and the reason why we want to know that we're so different and we have to, because we want to know up in the beginning, it's going to take work. I mean, it's going to take work. Our hard work. Harder work than anything you might have known or have known. It's going to take everything you got. I officiated a wedding last night in Barry at the... Uh, Nice place, Alan Harding House. And at the wedding, the, the maid of honor, yeah, we go. We go from like 6 in the morning to like 10 at night. We, uh, at, the, uh, at the Harding House, at the wedding, the maid of honor, she did, she, it was a wonderful speech. And she, in, in the midst of the speech, she had this, these words. And I, I think I'm going to be able to re, you know, repeat them properly. She says, often they say couples, they were made for each other. She's speaking to the bride and groom. So often they say of couples, they were made for each other. But the two of you weren't made for each other. You make each other. I said, oh, there's something there. You see, you make each other. I, I, I'd like to think, and what she was saying is, you make each other better. You make each other love more. You make each other forgive more. 
I'm going to keep going. You make each other learn more, right? And I'm going to, now how do we apply that to us? You help each other know Christ more. You help each other to be more like Christ, right? Everything you're doing, you're working on helping the other person know Christ more, not discouraging or debilitating that other person from knowing more and more of Jesus, yes? You make each other better when you work on your marriage. You work on your marriage to make each other better. You know, and, you, and, it, and there's always an opportunity for work. Huh? Two, four, seven, right? 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So we would go to that wedding, huh? It's like, I want to brag about this, okay? I, I got this good. So, so when we go to weddings, Christy just, after 23 years, and oh, I don't know how many weddings, really, Christy likes to have cranberry and, and ginger ale, you know? Okay. And she, likes, she also likes to have a cup of coffee, you know? Now, here's the thing about Christy. She doesn't like to ask for things. She just likes it so much better when I notice it, what she wants. I'm cool with it. I used to think it was like, I would describe it as torture, a trick, a trap. Now I've seen it as an opportunity, meaning it's actually an easy opportunity for me to get in with my wife, have a friend, have a better life, have great intimacy. I, I wait like, okay, like a kid, you know? And so now we sit down and, and she looks at me and I'm like, and I screw up, I'm like, oh, you know, and, and I look and I, I'm like, I got it, you know? She just looks at me and smiles, I got it. So I get up and I go to the bar, you know, and I, and I get, I got two, you know, cranberry and ginger ale, and I, and I brought them back to her, right? You know? I mean, I'm not really a ginger ale guy, but it's better than vodka, right? So now, now the thing, that's Christy's thing. It's just, yeah. And by the way, she never drank it anyway, so I wound up drinking both of them. <laughs> that's okay. I didn't even get upset about it. My, I, I already did my work. You know, when I brought them back, she looked at me, she smiled. I win, baby. I am great. I am great. So, did I say anything about humble in that verse? <laughs> so, now, here's the thing about me. I can't. Here's the, the thing about me is at restaurants or weddings, I like to eat off other people's plates. You need to know that. It's the thing about me. If you, hang, if you go out with me, don't be surprised if I reach over and I see something I like on your plate, I just take and I'll eat it. Now, now some of you think, no, he's joking. No, no, <laughs> you need to know. This, I'm Italian, I'm from New York, it's what I do, right? You know, Chrissy is kind of somewhat given up on correcting me. She's got me to the point of, well, could you at least use like a clean fork? Like, could you, could you let them see that you're getting a clean utensil before you do that, right? And, but here's the thing about Chrissy. She not only dislikes it when I, when I would do it to other people, she really dislikes it when I even do it to her. Yeah, I mean, she, when we first met, she would like say, stop that. I'm not kidding, like second or third time ago, she'd like, stop that, it's my food. I'm like, what's the problem? And even, honestly, right up, right up today, she never has liked it. She distances herself from me. You know how couples go out, they sit like side by side? She's always across the table from me. But you know what? This night at the wedding, Christy, I got a pasta dish and Christy got a chicken dish. I looked over once or twice at her chicken dish. I didn't do anything. And she turned around, and she looked at me, she goes, would you like to take some of my chicken? I said, I would. <laughs> she goes, have at it, <laughs> you know? So here's the cool thing. She got her cranberry and ginger ale. I got some extra chicken. We smiled. We laughed. Great night. Awesome. Got to God be the glory, right? All of this here, it was work. 
We were just working on our marriage. It was opportunities for us to labor, for our love of one another, to glorify God, right? To have better relationships because it's a lie for us and for you to think that marriage will not take hard work. We are different. You are different. We have different ways. But Chrissy and I are meeting. We're learning to meet one another. Yeah, and we're glad to do this now. Not in a resentful way, not with an intention, not that it's so, you know, a, a burden and laborious, you know, like we, we're doing this and now we're going to get something back. No, we're glad to do this. And if you don't do this, if you don't work on your marriage, then you are living in a home alone. You're in a marriage. You have two people living in a house or in a home, but you are alone. You are not experiencing the intimacy that God intended you when he called you into this holy and wonderful institution called marriage. Don't do that. Make the adjustments. Work hard on meeting one another's needs, you know? So I'm going to jump towards the end here. So we have these non-essentials, right? So we have these essentials. Now, Chrissy and I have essentials in our marriage. From the very beginning, we talked about how we would truly keep God-centered in our home, and we always have, and, and we've always been, I mean, really, we've always been a meaningful part of a church in the entire time of our marriage. You know, we've, and we've always made sure that, you know, our faith is present not only on Sunday, but it's part of our home, and the way we talk, the way we live out our lives, that if you come into our home, you're going to know that these people, you know, love God. We, we, we would protect our marriage by the entertainment and the things we take in, discussions, entertainment, jokes. We do that. If you're around me, you start talking, I'll say, you need, to, you need to just shut that down, man. You know what I mean? And honor my wife. I don't want to hear it. You know, I, you could drop F-bombs, whatever, I don't care. But if you go to that perverse stuff, I shut it down, right? You know, I honor my wife, you know? So we've always done that, you know? Christy, I thank God, she's modest. The way she dresses, the way she talks, the way she conducts herself. Modest is hottest, right? So that's what we teach our kids, you know? And we do that, to, again, to protect that marriage. We've always made sure that we would turn around and, uh, and, and spend time with each other, really, no matter what. Even when things struggle, we want to spend time with each other. We are one another's best friends. There is no one else that is more important to each other than ourselves. We've always held to this. We've protected what we call this best friend relationship, and not at any time did Chris or I feel that there's another person in one another's lives that is more important than us, even when we're not getting along, even when we really don't even like being at the, in the same room with each other, we still knew there was no one else more important in our lives than the two people right now who can't stand each other, okay? <laughs> these are essentials. There are not, but, and, and you know what? We, and the more we focus on these things and we hold in the truth, the better we are. There are non-essentials. Christy, to this day, feels she has to make the bed. This would annoy me. It's like, why do you have to make the bed? No one is coming into our room today. No one has come into our room for three years. Why do you have to make the bed? You're telling me you don't have time to do this, and you're, then why are you wasting your time making the bed? In like 16 hours, it's going to go right back to where it was. You're wearing a sheet. I mean, look, change the sheets every now and then. I probably wouldn't, but that's fine. But you know what? These are non-essential things. I, I, this used to bother me. Sometimes I actually would verbally say something about it. 
I'd bring it up in an argument, or I'd just, you know, hold it in and thinking, I wish she was more like me. Not that I wish she should be more like me. And understand, this is just stupid. You know what I did this week? Where is she? What did I do this week? What did I do? You don't even remember? Come on, with the bed. What did I do? Oh, you made the bed. I made the bed. That's right. <laughs> okay. So. so look, there are essentials. Hold to the essentials. Fight for the essentials in a godly way. But these non-essentials, come on. Remember, unity and essentials, liberty and non-essentials, we're not going to be the same. But in all things love. So let's go back and close out with Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. We bear with each other, right? Chapter 3, verse 14 says this. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The church, there is to be unity. There is to be unity in our marriages. And you and I, see, here's the thing. You and I, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we should build relationships and have relationships like no one else on earth. That should be one of the most greatest indicators that we are believers of Jesus, that people look at our lives and say, wow, they are just awesome at relationships. Because God is the ultimate relationship builder. We should be the best. And we can be if we don't start with self, we start with God. We can be if we don't think everyone should be more like me. We can be if we know how to forgive. And that when you, and when you forgive, you are free. And no one has to earn our forgiveness. And we can be if we bring hard work to our marriage and we bring it with love. Yes? We bring it with love. And the greatest act of love is when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went to the cross to bear, to take on your sins and my sins. And you're in here today, and maybe this is the first time you've heard that. Maybe you've never heard it in kind of a context like this, you know, that Jesus gave his life for you on that cross, that your sins would be forgiven, that you'd not carry them, you'd not live in them, but you'd be new, you'd be a new creation, and you'd begin to live from that newness. You'd begin to clothe yourself now with things that bring freedom and, and peace and joy. And if you believe that this morning, if that's you, you want to thank God for that. You want to thank God that as you've asked him to forgive you this morning and know that you are freely forgiven, that now you are in Christ. You are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You want to right now take a hold of it. You want to own that wonderful thought and you want to own the feelings that are coming up in you. And that's all happening because the one true God who created you in his image is stirring you, is drawing you closer to him. And truly, the best is yet to come. Yes? You want to take that card, that next steps card, on one side, light gray. It says, I have decided to start a new relationship with Jesus. I've decided to renew my relationship with Jesus. You want to check that box off. You want to bring it to the guest services table up there in the front. They're going to give you a box, a package. It's going to have a Bible in it. And man, you want to now start living your life, not on truish, but on the Word of God, on what is true, not from yourself, but from God. And we thank God for what's happened in your life. People live from truth. Today, inject this into your life and into your relationships and into your marriage. To God be the glory.